Welcome into the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I'm the host of the podcast. As always, men, thank you for taking time and checking out today's show. Whether you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever, or watching this on YouTube, I want to say thank you. I'm glad that you're here. When you get the opportunity, I want to encourage you, visit the Pursuit of Manliness.com. You can find this podcast episode, all of the previous episodes. Sign up for the email newsletter. You can see what, what's available in the gear store. You can find out about our fall men's retreat and more. So make sure you visit that when you get the chance. Because this is a quiet life episode, that means two things. One, it is sponsored by Armored Nation Coffee. Make sure you visit armoredcoffee.com. You can go there right on your phone as I have done right here. You can see what's available for them. And if you put in the code Pursue Manliness, all capital letters, you will save 25% off your order, armoredcoffee.com. The second thing, because it's a quiet life episode, that means we're focusing in on living a quiet life, minding our own business, working with our hands, not worrying about what other people are doing, being dependent upon no other people, just trying to take care, work, and keep what God has entrusted to us. On today's podcast episode, I welcome John Bevere. He is the author of this new book, The All of God, The Astounding Way, a healthy fear of God transforms your life. Listen, as we pursue a quiet life and as we try to work and keep and tend our own garden and take care of the things that God has placed under our care, uh, we're going to work hard with our hands and, and, and again, mind our own business and take care of the people in our sphere of influence. But we want to have an accurate picture of God. For me, some of the best times where I've seen an accurate picture of God is when I'm aspiring to live a quiet life. When it's there's no noise, there's no distractions, there's no anything else. Maybe I'm standing at on a cliff looking out across the landscape. Maybe I'm standing on the beach looking at the, the, the waves come crashing in. Maybe I'm just sitting in the garage or whatever. I want to encourage you, check out this book. It is a six-week book that will change the way you view reverence and the perception of God. Men, it's time for today's conversation. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for waking us up. I thank you for the opportunity to connect through technology such as this. And I pray for the individuals that be listening through their, their cars, their AirPods, wherever they're going to be located. God, I thank you for the stories that you're telling uh, through audio, but also through the written word, your word first and foremost, but also the book that we're going to be discussing today as we encourage guys to, to consider this resource, to put it in the hands that this this 42-day journey might do something to give them a more accurate glimpse of the Almighty. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, men, at this time, I want to welcome John Bevere to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast. John, thank you for taking time this morning, being on the show. Jared, it's a pleasure to be on. I love the title of your podcast, Pursuit of Manliness. It's really needed today. <laughs> thank you, brother. Well, I love the title of your book, which is what we're going to be chewing on today is The All of God. And uh, especially with men, we we can have a very inaccurate perception of God. Before we do that, would you just take a moment, introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, and we'll, we'll dive into this. Well, Jared, my name is John Bevere. I'm married to the lovely Lisa Bevere. We've been married 41 years this year. We co-founded uh, Messenger International in 1990, and uh, our real passion is to make disciples of the nations. So both of us are authors. Uh, we've given, or, or excuse me, I've written, this is my 23rd book. Lisa's written 17. But in 2010, God spoke to our hearts and said he wanted us to get a resource in the hands of every pastor in the world that can't afford them. 
And so in the last 13 years, by the grace of God, we've been able to give away now over 56 million resources and uh, 53 of million of them are physical resources to pastors and leaders and believers in uh, virtually every country in the world. I think we're about 15 countries short, but it's 234 nations of the world. So it's it's been um, that's been our greatest joy because these are people that we know can't pay us back. We these are people that are desperate. We have books on our shelves we don't read. They have nothing. So it's really really an honor to and and it took a whole team to do it. Businessmen, churches, all of us doing it together. It's not just one end of, uh, one organization. Only God can do that. Praise the Lord. Um, yes, that's fantastic. Well, John, your book, The Awe of God, I believe this is your newest release. I know I've read other books of yours. I'm not courageous enough to say what they are in case I get it wrong, but uh, The Awe of God, what led you to write this 42-day journey to understand God better? Well, this is actually a life message. Uh, this, If you if you say to, to me, I've got one message left to preach, it's going to be this one before going home. And it's because I believe with all of my heart, it's been lost in the church. We have not talked about the fear, the healthy, holy fear of God. And if you look at scripture, Isaiah 11, verse six says that the fear of the Lord is God's treasure. Now, I just I need us to all pause for a minute and think about God's treasure. Then I want you to put that together with the fact that in Isaiah 11, verse three, the fear of the Lord is Jesus's delight. Then you bring it into the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul makes the statement, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not love and kindness. Now, Barna has basically told us that 40 million, over 40 million, Amer- uh, 40 million believers have walked away from the faith in the last 23 years. And half of those 40 million are now professing spiritualists, agnostics, and atheists. Now, that's that's really riveting to me. When I look at um, America, the population is 332 million right now. That's more than one out of every 10 Americans, not one out of every 10 people that go to church. One out of every 10 Americans has literally walked away from the faith. And 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 tells us that this is going to happen. There's going to be a great falling away before Jesus returns. Now, what Paul does not write is he doesn't write that they're not going to come back. (laughs) So this is where I get excited. I look at John the Baptist. He was sent after the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I believe there's a massive amount of men, young men and women, older men and women that are going to have the spirit and power of God on their lives to go after the lost sheep in the church. I believe this will be the core of their message. Because God spoke to me 30 years ago, and he said the next major move of God that sweeps this nation is going to be a move that emphasizes the holy fear of God. And if you look at the Apostle Paul, he says in 2 Corinthians 7, 2, that we, the fear of God is perfected, or I should say holiness is perfected in the fear of God. And holiness isn't rules and regulations and legalism. It's about being completely God's, okay? Just like my wife is completely mine and I'm completely hers. Jesus gave himself completely to us. We get, we are to give ourselves completely to him. So the, the description of the church, the only description of the church is a holy church without a spot or wrinkle. So I believe that this is so crucial 
And I look at what's happening with the Asbury move, and then there's 15 other locations. I look at the Jesus Revolution movie coming out in February. This book came out in February. I think God is trying to get us prepared because if you if you look at every major move of God, people can find themselves in one of three places. They can be on the outside looking in. They can be actually resisting the move of God. Or number three, they can be moving with the crest of it. I want to see every single man, Jared, that's listening to your podcast on the crest of what God is doing. I'm fired up. That's about enough. We should wrap it up right there. (laughs) No, um, I I agree hundred percent. I think, um, I lost all train of thought of all the things, but you're absolutely right. We've seen that with the Asbury. We've seen that with um, the the other colleges that are, these things that are happening in the movie. We've had some people within our church say, Hey, what if we uh, revival starts with repentance? Revival starts with confession and understanding who God is and embracing that. Now you, you had a, a, a story that you tell pretty early in the book about speaking at a church and a guy kind of dressing you down, if you will, the next night. And listen, I've had that happen. It was at church camp and it was in front of kids. Now my stage is much more minimal than yours, but whoo, that's a tough spot to sit in. And, um, for me, I never got a chance to get back up. You did, but what you write is basically this guy tried to correct you. And then you just give this list almost like what you did here, that the fear of God is, is a good thing when you understand the context of that. And you gave Paul and you gave some other examples. Uh, how are we, how are we missing out on, the awe of God, the fear of God, how they are connected and how it changes our perception of God to a more accurate image of who he is. Well, let's let's calm every guy uh, their concerns right now. The fear of God has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with being scared of God and withdrawing from him. So the fear of God is actually something that draws us closer to him. If you look at uh, Proverbs chapter one and chapter two, it tells us that the fear of the Lord is the starting place. It says it's the it's the beginning. Now, that word beginning is the same Hebrew word that was used in Genesis one one in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the starting place of knowing God intimately. So let's let's just let's just say this. okay? All of us guys, we know people like LeBron James. We know people like Tiger Woods. However, there is an image that people hold of them, but if they met these people in person, they might find that they're meeting a very different person than who they imagine. So they really don't know Tiger Woods intimately or LeBron James. They just know what's been told about them. There are so many people that have this image of Jesus that really don't know him intimately because they have not embraced the holy fear of God. So if you look at Psalm 25, verse 14, it says friendship. This is the New Living Translation. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them, he shares his secrets. Now, if you look at who is the first friend of God in the Bible? Now, Abraham has a nephew named Lot. Lot is a believer. He's righteous. Abraham is a believer. He's righteous. However, God consults with Abraham about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and has a conversation. He does not consult with Lot. 
So Abraham knows what God's going to do before he does it and helps God decide how he's going to do it. Lot, even though he's righteous, is as clueless as the world. It takes two messengers of mercy, two angels, because Abraham prayed, thank God Abraham prayed, to get Lot out. So you got two righteous men, and I'm going to modernize this, two saved, two born-again men. One righteous man knows the secrets of God, what he's going to do before he does it. The other righteous man is as clueless. Why? This man fears God, therefore he's the friend of God. This man does not fear God. He's not the friend of God. So why is Abraham called the friend of God? Because the evidence that we truly fear God. So again, I'm going to say it. It doesn't mean I'm scared from God and running away. The fear of the Lord means I embrace his heart. I love what he loves. I hate what he hates. So somebody says, I fear God. That's why I hate those sinners is a person who doesn't fear God because that person hates what God loves. God loves those sinners so much he died for them. So you hate what he loves. That's not the fear of God. The fear of God hates the sin that unmakes people. So there's a big difference between hating a sinner and sin. We, if we fear God, would passionately love all human beings because Jesus died for every human being. If I don't love every human being, it's an evidence of the lack of the fear of God. But if I tolerate or I dislike the sin that's destroying people, then I don't fear God because Jesus, the father said to Jesus, because you've loved righteousness and hated sin, therefore God has anointed you beyond your companions. So the fear, so the fear of the Lord is not to be scared of God, it's to embrace his heart. It's to revere him, to esteem him, to venerate him, to honor him above anything and everyone else. So when God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, you know your son you waited for for 25 years, the one you loved really deeply, I want you to go on a three-day journey and then sacrifice him. Now, the Bible says that early the next morning, Abraham was on his way. You know how guys would go, well, you know, the Lord's dealing with me about this now for several months. And they laugh about it. They're laughing about their lack of the fear of God because the fear of God obeys God instantly. The fear of God obeys God when it doesn't make sense. The fear of God obeys God even if it hurts. The fear of God obeys God even if it doesn't see a benefit. And the fear of God obeys God to completion. Now, why is obedience so important? Well, I'm going to tell you something, because what is more, what is important to God is more important to me. So I literally take his heart. And if God wants something done, I'm like, yes, I'm going to, I, I don't care what this costs me. I don't care what this looks like. I'm going to get it done. So Abraham gets on this journey. God doesn't say to Abraham, if you go sacrifice your son, then I'll send my son. So Abraham trusts in the character of God so deeply that he's doing this, what seemingly is the most unreasonable command that could be given. So he's he's up, he's on his way. God gives him a three-day journey to think it over in case he wants to give up after two days. Abraham, two and a half days later, looks at the mountain. He's going to put the most important person or thing to death in his life just because God said do it and didn't give him a reason. He goes, can you imagine the emotions while he's building this altar? He ties his son up. There is nothing more important to him. 
lifts the knife and go read it, guys. Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord appears and says, Abraham, stop, because now I know you fear God. How does the angel know he fears God? Because he obeyed instantly, because he obeyed when it didn't make sense, because he obeyed when it hurt, because he obeyed when he didn't see a benefit, and because he obeyed to completion. Abraham puts down the knife. Out of his, out of his mouth comes these words when he sees the ram, Jehovah Jireh. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham. Nobody had ever known before because he's my friend. Every guy on here knows me as a communicator right now. A few of the guys know me as an author. But my wife knows me as husband. My wife knows me as best friend. God revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham nobody had ever known before. There's not one guy on here that knows me as best friend. But my wife does. She knows a facet of my personality that none of the guys that are listening to know. This is how God begins to open his heart to us, is when he sees that we walk in the holy fear of God. So if you listen to what Paul says to the Philippian church, it's amazing. He said, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Now, stop. That's not just Paul speaking to the Philippians. That's God speaking to us. Because the word of God is the word of God. He used men to write it. So this is God saying to us, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So it's easy to obey God when I'm in the church service, I'm in the conference, the presence of God is there. But what about Wednesday night when I'm working late and I run across pornography? Am I going to obey when I don't sense the presence of God? The fear of the Lord is what, in listen, listen, it empowers us to do it. So this is why you've got two men. To one man, it's a burden to obey God. To the other man, it's a delight. Psalm 112 said, the people that fear the Lord delight in obeying his commandments. Now, why is that? Because listen to Paul's words. As you have obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not love and kindness, fear and trembling. For it is God who's at work in you both to will. Okay, will. There's your pleasure. There's your delight. Okay, my will delights in obeying the word of God. Why is that? The fear of God addresses our will. It addresses our motives and intentions. So the fear of the Lord is something that goes deep into us. And this is why Jesus delighted in it. He said, I delight to do your will, even though the will of God for Jesus was to obey him to the point of death. He said, I delight to do it, even though he sweat drops of blood, even though there was such suffering before him, he delighted. What? is the difference between these two men. I keep contrasting two men. These are two men, Lot, Abraham. You've got Jesus. You've got the you know others. You've got the man who fears God, the man who doesn't fear God. What happens is the inside motives change and our, our desires change. The fear of the Lord does that. It's absolutely a gift. That's why God calls it his treasure or his gift. 
It is his gift to us that protects us from falling away. And I don't know about you, but after 40 million Americans have walked away, I think that's something that every man should be thinking about, especially when Jesus says, he who endures to the end, he who endures to the end. Paul says, you will be saved if you continue. There is so much about continuing. In Matthew 7, where he says, you know, I never knew you. Well, we did all these things and, you know, I never knew you. I think you talked about the, you know, the George Barnes numbers. And I think about the parable of the sowers, only one of the four actually produce a crop, a harvest. We always assume we're the one of the four, you know, we're never the path. We're never the rocky, the thorny soils. However, the narrow road is pretty narrow. And Jesus said there are very few find it. And I think that's what we're finding that there are very few, but, um, the opportunity as God wakes you up every day is to find it, is to get to that place. And what you're saying, and not to oversimplify it, is you're understanding the heart of God by getting in his word, the mirror that allows you to see who you were created to be and walking with him on a regular basis. I say all that to get to this point. I think there are men who have an inaccurate perception of God, whether it was from a pastor, a church, their own earthly father. You know, the way that we see God is impacted by, unfortunately, flawed people like you and I. So how do we again, we start to to throw off that that old that old image and find the true heart of God. You talk about uh Eli's sons. When they were punished, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty quick. And and then you have sometimes in the Old Testament the, the ground opened up. You have uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Well there I think there are men who think, no, I'm good. You know, like there's almost this delayed consequences sometimes. So how do you refine that? How's a guy take a, a look at his heart and say, I do have a healthy, holy accurate fear of God right now. So, I mean, the first thing you said is wrong perceptions of God because of our fathers. There are a lot of guys out there. We um, maybe didn't have perfect fathers. I don't know anybody that's had a perfect father. Okay. So let's, let's talk about just, my, just, my, just my son is the only guy I know right now that's had a perfect father. Other than that, it's probably not a good <laughs> record. So other than that, I don't, you're right. So my dad, my dad was a World War II vet and very, very quiet, unengaged. But he told me he loved me by providing for our family. However, there were so many conversations I never got to have that most young men will have with their dads. Um, when I first got saved, my filter was my dad on my perception of God. And that changed the more I became to know God. And what was the ticket that opened up the door for me to know God was the holy fear of God. So the more I actually embrace the holy fear of God, I actually pray for it because it's one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Isaiah 11, verse 1, 2, and 3. Spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of knowledge, spirit of understanding, spirit of the fear of the Lord, and Jesus' delight is the fear of the Lord. Well, I realized at one point, this is one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Well, then I started thinking, Jesus said, if I ask my heavenly father for the Holy Spirit, he'll give him to me. He won't give me a different spirit. So I started specifically praying, and I still to this day pray, Father, baptize me with a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord. Now I'm doing that on purpose because why? I want to know God deeper. I want to know him more intimately. I don't want my filter of God being my earthly dad. 
I love my earthly dad forever. I will honor him as my dad. However, I really want to know the true father who is my father. I want to know him. I don't want to know an image of him. I don't want to know about him. I want to know him. I want to know his voice. I want to recognize his care. I want to recognize his warnings. So I really want to. So what does he do? He gives me his spirit. Okay. I've not been given the spirit of the world, but the spirit is of God that I might know the things that what God has freely made available to me, that who he is to me. So the fear of the Lord is the aspect of the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that introduces me to who God really is. So every single guy that's listening to us, if you filter God through the stories you read, like, okay, I'm, I see judgment coming on Nadab and Abihu. I see judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. I'm scared of this God. You, you don't know him. Look, when people come into harm's way, they get harmed. All right. If I go mess, if I it, it, let, let me put it this way, if I go out and I lay in the sun at the beach, I enjoy it. I'm getting tan. I'm getting vitamin D. That sun is 93 million miles away. If I get 10,000 miles away from that sun, it's going to destroy me. So now here's God who wears light as a garment. His glory is so great that when Jesus returns, just the light that comes from his face is going to darken the sun, even though it's still burning. Just like the sun darkens the stars in the day. Stars are still out there, but the sun's glory is so much greater, it darkens the stars during the day. When Jesus returns, the light that comes from him is so brilliant it's going to darken the sun, even though it's burning. John the apostle sees him on the island of Patmos, falls down like a dead man. Isaiah sees the Lord and he falls down and says, woe is me. Because God's glory is so great. But here he is. He wants us as children because he deeply loves us, deeply desires to know us. Deep, He thinks about us so much that the Bible says that his thoughts about each one of us individually outnumber the grain of sands on the planet. Now, God can't exaggerate. And one cubic square foot of beach has 500 million to 1 billion grains of sand, depending upon how tightly they're packed. So this is how much God thinks about you and I. Now, I have things I never think about that I own. I find them. I discover them once a year. And that's when my wife tells me to go to our storage locker and I get the Christmas decorations. I go, oh my gosh, we own that. I haven't given that one thought the whole year. But if I add up every single one of the thoughts I've had about my wife, because I deeply love her for the past 41 years of marriage, I wouldn't get a shoebox full of sand. So God can't exaggerate. And he says his thoughts about us outweigh, outnumber every grain of sand that's on this planet. So here's this, here's this father who deeply desires intimate fellowship and to know us. He said, David said, God, you search me out. You, you literally have searched. What does it mean search? You, God has thought about us. How would John respond to this? How would, how would, you know, um, Jared respond to this? How would, how would Tim respond to this? Oh, I love doing this for Tim. I love, okay. But his glory is so great that if we come into his presence with willful sin, we get in harm's way, just like getting 10,000 miles from the sun. But we put ourselves there. 
So God has made a way that we can come right into his glorious presence. But that means we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. And Jesus gave us the power to do that. So God cleanses us and God says, now I want you to take on my heart so that you can come into my glorious presence and you not be in harm's way. So that's the way we need to look at these incidents of judgment in the scripture. People put themselves in harm's way. But when people come to the Lord, deeply loving him, deeply sanctifying him in their lives, and sanctifying means when my wife married me, we entered a covenant of marriage. I wouldn't have entered that covenant of marriage if she said, you know, Tony was my high school boyfriend, and man, I really would like a couple nights with him a year. And Peter, I was pinned to him in college, and you know, I really would like a week with him a year, but John... I will give you 340 nights a year. I mean, you will be my favorite. I will love you more than those guys. I'm sorry, I wouldn't have entered that marriage covenant. And if we think that Jesus gave himself for us, where he leaves what we can't even imagine, knowing he's going to come and be denied, he's going to be rejected, he's going to be shamed, he's going to be lied about, he's going to be spit on in his face, he's going to be punched, He's going to have every, every every hair of his beard plucked out. He's going to have thorns shoved into his forehead. He knows all this. Isaiah writes it, that he's so beat up that he doesn't even look like a human being anymore. So Jesus, being the word of God, knows what he's coming to get. He's going to be scourged. And when all this process is done, human beings will not recognize him as a human being. He's going to be nailed to a tree and bleed out every drop of blood. He willingly does this because of how much he loves us, because of how much he desires us. And he thinks if he, if we, excuse me, if we think he's going to come back for a bride, like I want a week with my boyfriend, I'll love you more than, than most, I, you know, and I, I would like a few nights with this other boyfriend, but I'll love you the most and you'll be my favorite. That's not the bride he's coming back for. He's coming back for somebody that's given themselves to him the way he gave himself to us. Amen. Well, John, we're barely scratching the surface on this book, but uh want to send guys the right direction where to get it. So where do we get the awe of God? Where do we get connected to you and your ministry and the things that you're doing? You know, all, all the guys are prime members. Amazon Prime. I knew it, but I was just giving you a you know, chance. I'm, here's the deal. I would rather you get this message than buy it from our ministry. Yes, financially, it's better for us if you buy it from our ministry. I just, I want guys to get it. Yep. Because everybody, I, I have been talking to people and they, they said they are going through this book and it is literally changing them from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Desires are changing. Their life is changing. The way they look at things are changing. That's what the healthy fear of God does. So I would say just go to Amazon Prime right now at the time of this interview, they've got it 35% off. So you're going to get it cheaper than you get it from our bookstore. But if you want to go to johnbevere.com, you could do that. But here's what I love about the book. I said to the Lord, there are so many men that are not reading nowadays. How do I make this book where I can get this message to them? And, and the Lord put it in my heart to write 42 short chapters yep. Yep. because 42 days is six weeks. Mm -hmm. And so there's seven sections, or excuse me, six sections for six weeks. And each section has seven chapters. And it takes 
five to seven minutes to read the chapter. Then when you get at the end of the chapter, there's a making it personal section. So I have the main passage of that section. Then I have a point, the major point of that section. Then I have a ponder, and this is where it gets good. I ask deep probing questions that really get us to go inside and search. And then there's a prayer, and then there's a profession. And then at the end of the book, there's a QR code in Appendix A that there's 42 short videos. The publisher said, well, you're going to charge for those videos? I said, no. I just want this message in people's hearts and lives because I am so fed up with people slipping away, falling away, burning out from the faith. I've been in ministry for four decades this year, four decades. I am more passionate and more in love with Jesus than when I started ministry. I know the fear of the Lord has protected my heart and I want these guys' hearts protected. This book will not make men scared. I promise you, it will not scare you to where you go, oh my gosh, this book will actually draw you closer to the heart of God. There is a businessman who has worked with some of the most wealthy businessmen in the world, in the world. And he wrote me a three-page letter and said how this book has changed his life forever. So I really believe, Garrett, this is, or Jarrett, this is really going to help the men that you lead. Man, I appreciate that. We'll put the links in the show notes. John, I got one more question for you about eternal decisions, but you've been in the herd. We'll continue that conversation over there. Once again, thank you for listening to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast. If you would, make sure you visit iTunes and leave a five-star review. Again, for more information or find out more information about the herd, visit thepursuitofmanliness.com.